Today's sermon comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 1 through 16. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Justin. Let's go ahead and pray. We're going to pray through Psalm 67. Psalm 67. You can turn there if you want. I'm just going to pray through that to, to begin. Dear God, may you be gracious to us and bless us and make your face shine upon us. That your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all the nations. God, may the people... Praise You, God. May all the peoples praise You. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for You rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. Dear God, may the peoples praise You, O God. May may all, all of the peoples praise You. Then the land will yield its harvest, O God. And you, God, you will bless us. God, dear God, you will bless us. And all of the earth, all of the earth will fear you. Amen. Amen. Parenting, my friends, parenting can often bring about differing viewpoints, can it not? Uh, just this past this past week, my wife and I, we had the kids out, and one of the kids who does not swim well actually sinks like a rock in the water. He's quite dense, and he just, right to the bottom, he goes, 
he was going down the slide and the older brother was supposed to catch him when he's coming out of the water slide and the older brother, as he's prone to do, gets a little distracted. He's looking this way, the other brother's going this way and into the water he goes, sinks. Rachel went standing here, I'm standing here watching all of it happen. And, and you see, in the parenting, you're bringing about two different things. Because I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if he's going to make it. <laughs> he starts doing the, you know, instinctive doggy paddle. He gets his head up and he starts gasping for air. Okay, he's doing good. Older bro- So I'm thinking, he's going to make it. He's going to make it. And then he starts breathing less and less air and more and more water. And I'm going to go, maybe he's not going to make it. I don't know. But here's the older brother coming. He's going to justify his, you know... His sporadic thinking, sometimes he's going, I'm going to get you, and he's coming to get him. Meanwhile, Rachel's not thinking the same thoughts that I'm thinking. Rachel's going, oh no, oh no. Concern for this one who's sinking, but swimming, making his way. And then it turns to a little bit of indignation towards this derelict husband who's just sitting there, seemingly doing nothing. So this, this same event is going, he's fine, right? I had to go in there. I got my swim trunks wet, which I was hoping not to do, but they got, we got him wet. I got him out and he was fine. But the same event, two people watching, the same thing going on, having completely different thoughts going on, different reactions, right? I'm, I'm thinking, I wonder if he's going to make it. He'll be fine. He's going to be fine. Mama's thinking, oh, my sweet boy, he's under the water. Two, same event. Two different reactions, right? Same thing that we see in our text here, my friends. We, we see Christ is proclaiming that He's going to be crucified. And you see two, two reactions going on. One you see, you see of Mary, and she adorns Christ and anoints Christ with all that she has, and then there's a yes, other reaction of Judas, and he rises up in anger. Rises up in anger and hatred towards the same event that's going on. They have two, two differing reactions. So, so what are we to do then, my friends? I hope you see this, that we are to delight. We are to delight in Christ crucified. We are to delight in Christ crucified. So there's this glory of God shines upon the cross and it casts two different shadows, does it not? And we see this, you see this, the one of Mary and then the one of Judas as well. And so, my friends, delight, delight in Christ and Christ crucified. See, verses 1 through 5, we're going to be talking about Christ crucified as, as does Christ. And then verses 6 through 13, you see this adorning of Christ. Giving Him all that Mary has, pouring it. Pouring it out on Christ. And then finally, we see this denial of Christ as well from Judas. So you see that Christ crucified, and the two different reactions this adorning of Christ, this anointing of Christ, and then also this betrayal of Christ as Judas rises up with anger within him. So as this ministry of Christ is going through. Kind of wrapping up in its finals days. What we see here is we're on Wednesday. So this, let's give a, a brief overview of, of Matthew and kind of what's leading us up here. And we see that Jesus is not some just political upstart, is he? No, Matthew starts with genealogy. So it goes all the way back to the beginning of the Jewish people. 
goes back to Abraham. And he carries this on throughout all of these genealogies. And then just as several, later in the chapter and then on to the next, just as Isaiah prophesied in the 8th century B.C. that deliverance for God's people would come through a virgin giving birth. It was true then. So then Matthew says, no, that's pointing to Christ. And so Mary, the virgin, gives birth to Christ. Right? And he, he has his ministry, and it's abundantly clear what he's going to be talking about. Matthew makes it very clear for us. We are to repent. And repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And through him, through Christ, you have this, this kingdom of heaven and this kingdom of earth, and they're slowly coming together. The kingdom of heaven is, is coming down, and you see Christ as he's operating in these different roles. He's the prophet, and he's the priest, and he's the king. So he's, he's the prophet, and he's bringing forth the, the word of God, right? He goes up in the sermon, up on the mount, and he gives them the, the sermon on the mount, and he, He's telling them, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But he's he's not just a prophet of old, he's a new prophet, the true prophet, the one that the other prophets pointed to, because he's not just a conduit for the word of God, right? But he's the originator of the word of God. He is the word of God. So he says, you have heard it said that you shall love your love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, but I say to you, not, but God says, no, but I, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So throughout the ministry of Christ, he's, he's the prophet, but then he's the priest as well, is he not? He brings forth a sacrifice and he intercedes on behalf of his people in the temple. We know that he doesn't serve merely in this earthly temple, right? He prophesies the the destruction of the temple in days of coming. So he's not just serving in this earthly temple. No, he serves a heavenly temple. So he doesn't come and bring his offering to the earthly temple. No, he goes back to the original temple, after which the earthly temple is just a, a shadow. And he goes back and he brings the sacrifice, his own blood, he brings the sacrifice up to the temple. It intercedes for you right now, interceding for us in the presence of God the Father. And he knows he's going to be going back to God the Father because he is the true high priest. And so in his absence, he trains up these men, right? He calls them Peter, Andrew, James, John. Come, leave your boats behind. Come, come follow me. And I will make you fishers and fishers of men. Simon the zealot, you who, who hate Rome. Matthew, you who give lot, gives, gives the taxes off to Rome. You two, both of you, come, come sit together. I'm sure you'll have much to discuss over these next three years. And he's calling together these people to carry on the ministry while, while he is gone. So he's the prophet, he's the priest, but he's also the king, is he not? He's calling them to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's speaking as though he is the sovereign ruler of this kingdom, of this heavenly kingdom, which he certainly is. 
And so he tells us all about this kingdom and how it will grow and how it will advance and, and the trials that the people will have. So it'll be like a, a farmer who has his servants scatter some seed, and it's good seed. But then the enemy comes and, and sows the, the, the weeds in amongst the seeds, the tares in amongst the wheat. And what do they do? Well, then they wait till harvest time. And then they separate it out. And the weeds are born and burned away. Or he tells them that the, the kingdom of heaven is also like a mustard seed. It, it's humble and it's small. But in due time, it grows and it grows and it grows. And it has this unstoppable growth. So he's shown himself to be prophet and priest and king. And as the king... A king has a throne, doesn't he? Christ is telling them about this throne that he will sit upon, which is the cross. And there you have your king enthroned upon the cross. And this is what it means to be the king of the kingdom of heaven. So when he's all of that in mind is when he brings forth these words here. Let's, let's read verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had finished all these things, he said to his disciples, You know, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest. Not, not the humble abode, not the abode, not the house. The palace, the palace of the high priest. Off topic here, but in in the would it be the, like the southwest part of Jerusalem? All of the upscale homes is where they were. Herod had his palace up in the the north, the, the northwest part of town. Uh, but in the southwest part of town is upscale homes, and they were all people of the priestly class. So when they said palace, they meant palace. They gathered together in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So Christ is, is previously spent two chapters, 24 and 25, telling the people again and again, Kevin and Adam, we were preaching on this. Be ready. Be prepared. Be prepared for the coming judgment. So then we see here Christ is Himself. He is prepared and then He's also being prepared, as we see with Mary at Bethany, for the coming judgment of God. And He tells them, you know, you know that after two days of Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And Christ is here, what he's doing is tying together the crucifixion and this Passover, right? He's tying them together, seaming them together. So the, the Passover without the crucifixion, what's well, unfulfilled, right? And Jews today, they see it and it's, it's unfulfilled. So the, the Passover without the crucifixion is unfulfilled, but the crucifixion without the Passover, well, it has no context. It just comes out of nowhere then. So this is the pattern, of, when you think of it in terms of Passover, this is the pattern that God has woven throughout all of Scripture. It's not just Christ started talking about crucifixion. 
No, this has been the pattern throughout all of Scripture of God delivering His people through judgment. You see, the deliverance of the people of God through judgment. So, after the blessings of Abraham and his promises, go down to the next section is Abraham going down to Egypt because there is a famine. So, famine is driving Abraham down to Egypt. And they are somewhat oppressed, I guess. Well, Sarah is because Abraham lies and says, no, it's not my wife, it's actually my sister. And so that God delivers them through plagues. He sends plagues upon the Egyptians. It's very brief. You might probably miss it. He sends plagues upon the Egyptians, and then the Egyptians say, go, go, and they plunder them. They, they give him pre- the gifts to Abraham, and, and then he goes on his way. Well, okay, fast forward two generations. A couple generations later, a famine again drives the people of God down to Egypt. And what happens for 400 years? You guys know this story. 400 years, they're oppressed, they're slaves, they're beaten, they're killed. But how does God deliver them? Through plagues, right? So you have the, the blood coming in, turning into, or the water turning into blood, right? And you, and you have frogs everywhere. Then you have some flies and gnats, and then you have pestilence and the cattle, the cattle are dying. Then you got boils everywhere, and that, that's not bad enough. You have hail coming down, killing, ruining all the crops, and whatever's left of the crops, the locusts come through, and they eat them, and then you have darkness for three days. Let the reader understand. Darkness enveloping them in judgment for three days to deliver the people of God. And then you have the killing of the firstborn son, of the beloved firstborn son. Again, he who has ears, let him hear. So God is delivering them and they plunder the Egyptians once again. And God is delivering them through judgment. Okay, Fast forward again. You have the Assyrians. They're coming around and Sennacherib has Jerusalem surrounded and they're, they're starving. The people are surviving. How does God deliver them? Through what? Through judgment. The messenger of the angel of death comes down and kills 185,000 and the people of God are delivered. Next empire. Babylonians come. 586, Jerusalem falls and they're carried off into Babylon. Again, they're oppressed. They can't, they can't break free. No, they need someone to come and deliver them. And God does it, but how does He do it? Again, He does it through judgment. He delivers His people through judgment. So it is with us. Our sin. How is He going to do it? How is he going to do it? How is God going to deliver his people from the oppression of sin and death? Well, you know it, right? Through through judgment. That's why he says, you know that after two days of the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. That's one and the same. They're just following the same line that's building up this beautiful crescendo into Christ and Christ crucified. So we can say, you know He's not saying, hey guys, listen to this. Let me explain it to you. No, no, no. He's saying, you know. It's abundantly clear. 
So this is Christ and Christ crucified. And so it's not only the pattern and the story of all of Scripture, but even, even the ministry of Christ itself is very clear about Him and Him crucified. I've read these verses before, but they're so beautiful and critical to understanding the ministry of Christ. Matthew 16, from that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must, He must go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Matthew 17, next chapter, and this is in the context of, of the transfiguration. And he says, But I tell you that Elijah has come, John the Baptist, that Elijah has come, and they did not recognize him, but they did whatever they pleased. They killed John the Baptist, right? They beheaded John the Baptist. So also, in that same way, this impending death, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Matthew 20. This is just a sample of what's going on. Matthew 20. And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way, and he said to them, See, see, we are going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. But he will be raised on the third day. Christ has delivered us, my friend. He has delivered us through the judgment and the judgment of His Son. See, you see, we can never deliver ourselves. Abraham couldn't deliver himself. The the Israelites down in Egypt, they couldn't deliver themselves. They couldn't free themselves out of Jerusalem when Snacherib has them choked out. Same thing when they're off in Babylon. They can't deliver themselves. They need a sovereign God to come and deliver them. And we're the same, my friend. You are the same. Do you think you can deliver yourself from sin? You can't. You, you can. Go ahead and try. Stop sinning. You can't. You can't deliver yourself from sin. You need someone to come in and to save your soul, to redeem your soul. Someone to come in and break the chains of sin. Someone to come in and untie these knots of bondage that we are in. And that is Christ and Christ crucified. And this is the the glorious, the glorious message of the cross. That judgment came upon Egypt to what? To deliver, to redeem the people of God. That judgment came upon the Babylonians what? To deliver and to redeem the people of God. Judgment has come upon Christ, His Son to deliver and to redeem the people of God. And and not some redemption, not redeeming them from slavery and some kingdom. No, something far worse, a far worse master than any Egyptian with a whip. No. It's the master of sin, death. This is the message of Christ crucified, which is the light of the world. And so we, we, we take it and we, we adorn it. And you, you hold it up and you, you love it and it's beautiful. This is a very bad illustration, but you hold it up and it's beautiful. And so no sacrifice is, is too great. No gift is too small. And all of your affections come towards Christ and Christ crucified. So how do you live? Well, how do you live your life? Well, 
love your wife in the way that Christ loved the church, of Christ crucified. How do you love your children? Oh, with Christ crucified. This is so valuable, so beautiful, is it not? It's, it's like a, a treasure hidden in the field where you should sell all that you have to go and have this treasure. It's like a pearl of great price. You've been looking your whole life. And then you see it and then you find it and everything else must be cast aside so that you can have this in Christ crucified. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's why we see in verse 13 here, in verse 13, that this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world. And thus, and thus men and women go out because it's so beautiful to them. It's Christ crucified. It's all of your life. So the gospel goes out into all of the world. Because you, you've been so transformed, you, you can't help. You're like a like a horse, and if you've watched the Kentucky Derby recently, or the Belmont, it's the horse in the starting gate. They just can't. They can't hold them back. You need a metal gate in front of them. They're bred to run. Same thing with you guys, my friend. When God changes your heart and gives you such an affection, you cannot help but to go and to share the gospel and to go forth. A good example of this is Paul, of course. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Sure, the, the Greek, or the Jew first, and then the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Such, as such, the gospel goes forth through faithful men, through faithful women, and through you being faithful. You are the herald of this good news, are you not? Of Christ and Christ crucified. But before we go forth and proclaim this, we must first come to terms with it ourselves. See, remember, the, the glory of God comes and shines upon this cross and it gives us two different shadows. One of Mary of Bethany, the other of Judas as well. And you must, you must answer the question, which one are you? Which one are you? So let's go back to the text here. Read verses 6 through 13. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For it could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring the assortment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And this... This, again, it seemingly comes out of nowhere. He's just at a house and here comes this lady and anoints him. But you read the other gospel accounts and you see, so here's Mary and who's her sister is Martha, right? And who's her brother? Lazarus. Exactly. 
So she has this oil, and perhaps it's because they're an exceedingly wealthy family, or perhaps she had the oil to anoint Lazarus, who's dead for three days. Again, let the reader understand, before he was raised. And she hears this, and, and you see this, this there's both Mary and, and then the disciples, and we like to think, of course, I'm Mary, right? But no, it's, it's quite obvious that they were not Mary, but the disciples, that's how we're wired. And so you, you, you see the disciples, and, and there with Alistair Begg makes a great point of this when he's talk, preaching on the same text, but in Mark. He's saying, so here's the disciples, and they're, you, you know, you go, you feed the 5,000, Christ feeds the 5,000, and they, they get in the ship, and they're going across the, they get in the boat, and they're going across the lake, and they're going, oh, man, I am really really hungry. And we don't have any bread. What are we going to do? Right? Or in Luke 9, when they're, the, the Samaritan village refuses to repent, and they go, Lord, shall we call down fire from the heavens? Like, no, no. Not, not today, right? Not today. Let's take a break. Or children, children, get away, get away. Can't you see that he's, he's ministering, and he's, he's very important? What's that? Yes, yes, as I said, children, come, come, come close. There you go. Come closer. There he is, sitting right up there, right on his lap. Very good, very good. That's us, right? But but here's here's Mary coming. And Martha talks a lot, and Martha does a lot, but Mary, she she weeps. She weeps a lot. And she takes this oil with with a mixture of her sorrow and her faith and her devotion, and she she pours it out on him. She pours it out on his head. She pours it, we see in John, she pours it out on his feet and takes her hair and, and rubs And she has a clear understanding, I think. She's acting beyond what she knows, but she does have a clear understanding of, of what she's doing and what is to about to happen to Christ. So is there any cost that is too great? Is there any devotion that is too deep? 300 in area. A, a, a year's wage. Remember the feeding of the 5,000. It was 200 would feed 5,000 people. Here's 300 to, to purchase this oil. A year's wage. Poured out upon the heads and the feet of Christ. Of course, the disciples, you and I, we go, why this waste? Why this waste? This isn't practical. But no, this, this devotion to her, she has this deep love of Christ that is coming and it's not even a sacrifice. Because it's, it's born out of love for Christ, so it's not, so she has to weigh it and go, oh, should I do it or not? No, she doesn't care. That's to show her love towards Christ. And in doing so, what is she doing? She's anointing him. She's, she's preparing him for burial. But she's anointing him as well. Remember, he's a prophet, the priest, but he's also the king. King David was anointed. Solomon was anointed. King Jehu, to the north, he was anointed, right? And here is the king of all kings. And he is anointed. And just as David and Solomon and Jehu... Kill the enemies. Destroy the enemies of their people. So here is Christ coming down and being anointed. 
and he destroys his enemy. But this is the kingdom of heaven, so how does he do it? Through death. He does it through his death. Remember, Christ crucified. So only in this, this kingdom of heaven, only in the kingdom of heaven could, could Christ be anointed as king and be anointed for his death in the same act. So when you're, you're hearing of this Christ crucified as Mary did, what's all your response? What's your response to all of this? Is your salvation so sweet? Is it so tender that nothing, nothing else matters but Christ and Christ crucified? Is that what's stirring in your heart right now? I hope, I pray, that when you see this audacious act that is foolish, it's foolishness to the world, I hope you see it. And you desire the same opportunity to do the same thing. But again, the glory of God shines on the cross and makes two shadows. And we see Mary in, in her delight to anoint and to adorn Christ with all that she has. Even though the world, everybody else is saying it's foolishness. Why this waste? Here is Judas rising up with hatred and inner turmoil. Let's read verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me? What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. And here's Judas. He's seen everything else that everybody else has seen. He's heard everything else that everybody else has heard. And there's this darkness growing within him. And he's coming to this deciding point. This darkness is its as though it's a pit and he's just walking around it. Walking around it. And there's sheer cliffs and he's not holding on. He's just walking. He's not tethered down by the grace of God. And this deciding moment comes he jumps and into the pit he falls as one of the commentators writes out of the same open door that he pushed Christ out Satan enters in so he goes to the he goes to the chief priest and they they offer him they offer him money where would they have gotten it well probably from the storehouse of money they have to buy what sacrifices so they take money that to be used to buy sacrifices, unknowingly buy the true sacrifice. And how much? 30 pieces of silver. Well, that's how much a slave costs. So they buy a sacrifice and they buy a slave, a slave of one Christ who came and emptied himself, taking the form of a what? A slave. Right? Christ has come and you see these two different reactions, right? And there's there's no middle ground, my friend. There's there's no degree in between them. It's this or this. There's nothing in between. Either you have this reaction of Mary or of Judas. Either you love Christ and adore him for what he has done, or you hate it, because you will not be told that you need to repent and that you cannot save yourself. There are only two options. The sheep and the goats that Adam was preaching on last week. And there's, 
use this as an opportunity to delight in Christ or use it as an opportunity to betray Christ? Which one will it be, my friend? Which one will it be? Whereas you have Mary who's joyfully giving a year's wage to adorn Christ. Or you have Judas asking, what will you give me? Mary wants to give more. Judas wants to receive all that he can. And all of them, just like you, are standing under the judgment of the cross. And for some, it's the saving judgment as the judgment fell upon Christ. And for others, the righteous judgment of God will come down and it won't come down upon Christ, it will come down upon them. My friends, you cannot remain numb. You cannot remain callous to this call of Christ and Christ crucified as it comes out. Look at your life. Examine yourself. What does your prayer life look like? Prayer life look like? Do you you adorn Christ with your prayers as you're pouring out this oil? We love to think, oh, I would do it if I had the opportunity. If only I was at the house of Simon the leper. Well, you were at your own house this morning and your own house last night. Were you communing with God then? If you weren't, you certainly wouldn't have done it in the house of Simon the leper. How about your time in the Word? Are you delighting with God and communing with Him then? And again, these are, these are not works of righteousness to be saved. No, no, but they're, they're a gauge. Where are you at? How much do you love Christ and adore Him? How long do you, you, which is your affections? Drive what you do, and do they drive you towards Christ? Or do your affections, like Judas, drive you within? Some of you are just like Judas was, and you're walking on the edges of the cliff untethered by the grace of God and holding on, holding on inside your own passions. And into the pit you will fall. There is our hope in this, in this deepest, this darkest hour. Here is our hope. And what is it? That's Christ and Christ crucified. So He's not only the one that wounds us by exposing our sin, but no, Christ crucified is this balm that, that is anointed and, and placed on our sin. And we have this balm then as we turn to Christ and give to Him the glory that is due. Give to God the glory that is due as He says, Isaiah writes, I am the Lord and that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. Brothers and sisters, delight Delight in Christ and delight in Christ crucified. Let us pray. Let us pray. Your God, change our hearts. You're so callous and we are so frivolous with all that you have given us. God, change our hearts so that we long to commune with you and delight in you. To see the true beauty that is there, God. Pull the scales off our eyes. Even in, as we take communion and, and have fellowship and worship to you, God, let us delight in you in a way that we have never seen you before, God. Show us your beauty. Amen.